Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode six, and today we're going to be talking about sin, which is kind of a downer of a topic, but we actually had a nice time unpacking some things, and I hope you enjoy it too. Just a quick reminder that we would love to hear from you if you have thoughts on this topic or any others. So feel free to reach out to us, uh, email, Twitter, Patreon. Honestly, everything's available on the website. And so you can go to LonelyMountainMystics.com and find out more information there. Oh, and a big thank you goes out to our patrons who continue to support us. You guys have all been incredibly generous and you just keep us going and we love you lots. All right. Let's dive in. All right, hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. My <laughs> name is Ben. <laughs> and my name's Will. <coughs> Shoot. And my name's Devin. Hey, I'm Andy. And we are excited to be here in this room to talk about just just a very exciting topic. Yeah, naturally. Bum, uh, bum, bum. Sin. It's going to be a good time. Devin, you got to take it down a notch. I know. We're, <laughs> we're like, we're like way wound up right now. I don't know. I don't know, know if we can do this topic. We've been talking Devin, for like 20 minutes before Devin's we hit record. Got a case of the sillies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Devin's had a rough weekend and is in that place beyond yeah, exhaustion. Just, just oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just like just giggling like you're stoned, but you're not. So it's not as fun. <laughs> not that Speaking that's a of good sin. thing. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. We'll have some questions. They're very basic questions. Yeah. Like usual. <laughs> trying to quote myself from an earlier episode that I've been listening to again as I do the show notes. Um, all right. Question one, we'll dive right in guys. What is sin? Maybe even what were you brought up to think it was and have your thoughts changed on it? But yeah, I mean, what is it? We hear that word and what do we think? We'll go first. Yeah. So I definitely, so Growing up as a kid, you know, sin is bad stuff. I cannot remember being told as a kid that I was sinful, which means that it didn't happen or that I uh, blocked it from my memory. I don't think that that's the case. So growing up, I remember being taught that sin was anything that went against God's will and plan for the uh, plan for the world. Initially, that included only <clears throat> only things that you did. Later on, as that got fleshed out, that included the things that you did not do, uh, that you ought to have done. That's pretty much like what I grew up with. But the most important thing in high school was that you didn't masturbate. And then uh, that was like, that was the sin. Like, that sounds super flippant, but like, that was the thing. That's, that was the most stressful thing growing up in church, was just being told that. <laughs> to just, that's where we'll start. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So sin for me, growing up in a more strict tradition, uh, I think it was all things joyful. I think that's the easiest way to sum it up. It wasn't quite that bad, but we were definitely told very early that we were sinners. We were definitely told very early that sin was the things that we did do, should have done, also thought about. Mm. And yeah, just a huge emphasis on don't have sex. And secondly, don't masturbate. Which brought in this lovely mental gymnastics of like, oh, if those are the two, what are all the other things that we can be doing that we shouldn't be, but aren't sex? So that's whenever that type of culture really got strong and really took root. 
specifically for me, that was, that was a huge issue for me. But I think being told like you can't do anything, uh, it was already something I thought about constantly because, you know, I was a teenage boy, but that made me think about it even more. And, uh, yeah, but sin was, sin was a lot. There was a lot of things that were sinful. I'm really glad that you brought up the the thinking part. Yeah. Sin was definitely thoughts that you could have, which I don't know how we're going to handle the episode, but if we go from like transitory thinking, like how we got to where we are now, thought I think is a big, a big part of at least my journey. But say more about that. Yeah. Yeah. We can go into that. Um, hearing that, and this was like deep into Bible college before I even heard anybody say this was that thoughts are not necessarily sinful. It's that like acting on thoughts. So a part of the Christian, like the purity culture that I grew up with and the way that it affected me and probably men more generally, was that it was just better to not think that a woman was attractive. And I actually remember uh, it was like a, like a counseling session I was doing with a professor where he had mentioned like thoughts are not necessarily bad. We all have these, like we all have crazy thoughts that we're not going to act on. And that's okay. Like you'll, ha- you can have invasive thoughts and that's fine. That doesn't mean anything other than that you're a normal person. And that was a big, that, that was big for me because I actually, when I heard that, I was kind of upset because <laughs> I was like, why did nobody say that 10 years ago? Like that would have been really nice to hear as a 12 year old. Um, it would have been great to hear as a 16 year old. But so yeah, we were all yeah, we were all brought up with that. Is basically right. We take right. the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus says, "Don't commit adultery." But anyone who lusts after a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. So we take that, mm-hmm. and like I can just I can hear anyone listening like firing back with, "Well, but what? What do you do with that?" So I can't imagine that Jesus would be condemning things that we cannot control, and then have the ability to act on that, and then don't. I can't imagine that he's being that impractical. So I, I'm not entirely sure that that's what he means by lusting, like lusting after a woman. I don't even think that having that thought is like lusting in that context. Mm. My impression from that is lust would be a prolonged obsession and focus on that certain thing to the point where it actually perverts the way that you think. That I think would be lust. That's wrong. That's unhealthy. But just to have a passing thought, anybody who doesn't have crazy passing thoughts, like is, I think, lying to themselves. Mm. Um, Yeah, so I would agree with your assessment of what lust is in the context that what you're describing with the Sermon on the Mount, right? To look at something and just say, wow, that's an attractive person is completely different than like looking at a woman and undressing her with your eyes. And then having that prolonged or obsessive like ideology about it. And I'm not talking about to the extent of like, I'm now a stalker. Now I know I've crossed the lust boundary. I'm talking about, you know, more than just a passing thought or more than just a, like anything that just is rattling around for, you know, extensive periods of time. Like it's just not good in general. Um, But definitely in the church culture that I grew up in, like even that was lusting. I mean, we had, oh man you know, bouncing your eyes. Like if there was an attractive woman, it was almost like terrifying to even look in her direction. (laughs) Like Mm. you just had to bounce your eyes, not look away like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was so uncomfortable and it just made the whole situation of discomfort even more uncomfortable and more awkward for everyone. And it, it makes it harder to interact with that person because like the way that you're taught to 
interact with somebody that you think is attractive is uh, just avert them. You basically ignore them, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then that takes away their ability to be a person in your world, and that they're literally just not being seen by you because you're choosing to ignore them. Like, that's that's depriving them of... Maybe they don't even want to talk to you, but just to have you, like, write them off yeah, because think, you're told it's wrong, it's I think it's, it's actually nuts. Yeah. the act of it and the way that there's emphasis put on it is that it increases the objectification of that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they are. They're this object that you have to keep at bay. You have to wrestle with. You have to. And also, probably her fault for being attractive. So that was another issue with the purity culture thing. Right. Is that like women were pretty much holistically responsible for men's lusting after them. And that's still like something that affects my marriage even to this day. But I want to hear, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about sexual sin mm. right yeah, off the bat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's clearly something that impacted us. <laughs> yeah. Andy, what are your thoughts on just sin? Yeah, I, I do connect as far as the culture that you guys are describing in terms of, uh, you know, what sin is being perceived as. Is You know, you will, you said, like, anything that is, you know, not pleasing to God or not in the will of God, which is conveniently vague, right? So mm-hmm. whoever is the presiding gatekeeper of the moment can sort of like decide what that means right. for your community, um, which is part of the damage. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was, I think the difference in my experience was that um, I was, for whatever reason, really all in on trying to uh, avoid that like to, it, it caused me an enormous amount of anxiety i guess so i think it sort of created what i'm unpacking now in my life is that i have a hard time uh, i hold myself to an unbelievably high standard and so to the point where when i currently make mistakes I have a I have a really hard time giving space to myself for that. So something about my growing up in this culture that talked about sin in this way, in this almost unavoidable way, you know, that it's a thing you have to always be running from, but you will never outrun. It created this unbelievable anxiety in me to be perfect. And honestly, that's what I felt like I was being asked to do. So I didn't feel like I created that. I felt like I just heard it and really internalized it. And yeah, that's, ca- that's caused an enormous amount of damage in my life in terms of just needing to uh, rewrite that script and, and needing to uh, allow myself space to be human and to see that as normal. Um, like One of the things I'm doing right now is like a mantra of just telling myself like, it's okay to be seen in process. That like, I'm so used to being like, don't say anything, don't don't express anything until you've figured it out, until you have done all of your internal work, and then and then show yourself. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. So and and it's unbelievable because like it's not realistic, it's not kind to myself at all. So yeah, that's kind of where it came from and kind of how it's showing up in my life now. So would you feel like for you, specifically Christianity, faith-based religion was really emphatically focused on works 
no. looking and doing a certain way? No. Okay. No, I grew up in a very belief-based structure, but if your belief meant anything to you, and if you really loved Jesus, which I desperately did, you would act like it. Gotcha. Yeah. So that sounds good on the face of it, right? Like that, that sounds like, oh, wow, it's a really earnest faith. Like, man, I just, I can flash back to all these different times where like I'm actively being praised by my community to be like, wow, you're so like passionate. You're so zealous. But like, I was actually just acted out anxiety, you know, that mm-hmm. I, yeah. that I was constantly um, trying to, to reach this mark that I could never reach. Yeah. So it's not healthy. I didn't need praise for that. I needed to be told like, it's okay, man. It's okay. Yeah. That, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I resonate with that. That's kind of how I think about my own journey, trying to become and then deciding to not go back into ministry. You get praise for pursuing such a high calling and then deciding that's, this is not, it's not best for me. This might not be best for the, for the people. Also, I can't like, I can't get up there and talk about those things. I can't lead people in the way that they, that they're expected to be led. Cause I, I'm not there. Is, is that a pretty similar experience that it sounds like we're all kind of connecting with what Andy was sharing about the behaviors and the works focused or the focus on being perfect. Is that a pretty similar experience for you guys? Yeah. It, it wasn't legit desire on my end. It was looking back, I think mostly out of anxiety Yes, yeah, so I, I don't even think I would have been able to tell, right? Because I, I would have called it legit desire at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think when you're given a message like that, you can't have pure desire mm-hmm. because right. there's so much fear baked into it that you just, you're running without, I mean, you're running without even knowing it. Yeah. Can you really desire the only thing that you know? Like, or like, can you really desire when you know that like there's threat? on your heels all the time. Mm. You know, you're like, okay, I'm, I really am. I'm in survival mode, but I don't know it. Mm. Mm. What about for you, Ben? What was your experience? Yeah. Um, I certainly identify with the idea that sin is anything that you do that God doesn't want you to do and anything you don't do that God does want you to do. And similar to what you guys said, that, that second part came maybe a little bit later. Yeah. I guess looking back on my own experience, I can remember screwing up in whatever way and basically just coming to a point where it's like, okay, well, I don't know. I guess I leaned into forgiveness pretty heavy because you had to. I guess that's kind of how I handled it, which was fine. I eventually got to the point with some things, though, where there was just like so much guilt and so much shame that the line that I sort of told myself and I... I don't necessarily disagree with it even today, but I might reframe it. But the line that I was, that I would tell myself is like, well, okay, if I'm just wallowing in the shame of what I've done, then the devil wins. And so in order to like, I literally have to move on or I'm still like a slave to this, this shame. And I think there's still definitely something to just like, oh, okay, yeah, screwed up gonna try to not do that again and moving on yeah that's so that's really healthy that's really healthy that's like the healthiest way i've heard about dealing with that because that wasn't me at all well that took that it took years to come to that 
Nice. It took years of like, mm. yeah, shame to, to come to that. Well, it just reminds me of, I, yeah, it's something I so desperately want to move towards right now. Like, I think in times when I'm in therapy, that's like stuff that I'm actively talking about because, you know, I've heard people talk about even in spaces where you might be speaking publicly or in some way you're, you're doing work that's in front of people and there's space for you to get it wrong. Right. For you to say something that is not sensitive to a people group, is not like representing things um, the way they really are. And you didn't and maybe you didn't even know. And but if you can create like uh, I think it was I think it was Science Mike who said you just go like there's there's a process of like ouch oops that you're just willing to be like, hey, it's OK for you to say out loud, you know, what hurts you. And then it's OK for me to say, yep, you're right. And, uh, and I did that. I'm gonna try not to do that. And, mm. but like that kind of, yeah. I'm like, I just, that is so, if I, if someone says, ouch about something I did to them. And part of this is how it comes back to like, I really felt, um, because of the whole idea of hell and that, you know, that I felt, I felt like it was my job to remove suffering from everyone in the world. Like I really owned that. Um, by saving them from hell. So I think some of that psychology also makes it so that when someone tells me that they're hurt, I like blow it so far out of proportion that I like crumble under the weight of it. Instead of staying in the moment, centering the story of the person who's telling me, realizing like, oh yeah, okay, there's space for that. You know, imagining that there's gonna be another moment after this one where I don't, you know, where I, where like we can work this out. That's like something I'm imagining moving towards in my life, right? <laughs> well, it, you bring up an interesting point too. That is talking about like, yeah, if I if I hurt someone, that's almost even different. Like, I would I would struggle with that more than in my previous example as well. When you hurt someone, because I certainly don't want to be flippant. It's like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, sorry about that. I'll try not to do that again. Like, depending on what I've done, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't want to. Like, I want I want to be under. I want to truly understand what I've done. Uh, in order to try to not do that again, just our interactions with other people. That's a little bit different even than what mm. I was saying that I was able to just kind of move on from. Well, I think we're supposed to like, and that's when, when I hear Andy talking about how, you know, you feel like you had to do everything perfect. You had to be perfect. You had to make sure that, you know, that everything was good and that you weren't allowing any negativity or any difficulties or any sin. You had to be perfect. Like I still struggle with the exact same things. Like I was hitting on like all that was hitting on really like strongly where I'm at right now. But one of the things that I think is a byproduct of this sin culture is that we don't allow for people to see in the process because Mm -hmm. we're not perfect yet. But that makes it harder to connect that makes it harder for community that makes it harder for myself when I look at somebody who's like has their stuff all together and I know I don't have my stuff all together it's just like it's so defeating you oh, know yeah to no. even to even start but when yeah. you when you can do that when you can let people in that's whenever you can do what Ben was talking about where you can sit in that discomfort where you can feel bad about the things you should feel bad about because you're not adding all the millions of other emotions and feelings of I'm not good enough. I'm going to hell. I'm sending other people to hell. I'm away from God. I'm clearly not loving Jesus enough. Like when you're taking, adding all that extra stuff, it just makes it such a, it makes it such a more toxic experience when we should be able to sit and experience discomfort. Like 
I hurt you, man. I'm so sorry. I want to sit with you mm-hmm. in this discomfort. Mm-hmm. And like, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to sit together. And when we, you know, when part of us mourns, all of us mourn. When part of us rejoice, we all rejoice. But it makes it so much harder to do it when we have this overly emphasized culture that talks about getting it right mm-hmm. and being good enough. And yeah, so I, I think that, I don't know, one of the things that I've, I've had a thought of recently is that the focus and emphasis on sin has almost robbed the value that I think healthy shame can actually do. Like, I think that should I be ashamed of my body because, you know, I saw an attractive woman and realized she was attractive? Should I be ashamed of my body because I have sexual desires? Or should I be ashamed of the fact that I was dating this girl I knew I shouldn't have been dating, not because of the fact that I was struggling with lust, but because of the fact that, like, I was just not a healthy person and I hurt her really badly. Mm. I should be ashamed of that. Like I should be, and not not beating myself up, not like crapping all over myself, but there are certain things where like, I think shame can actually be helpful, but it is so overly emphasized that it, it just, it's it's turned into this weapon that's like 99% of the time toxic. I just want to clarify, actually, I'm not sure if shame is the word you want to use there. The, or maybe it is. If it is, I'm I curious don't know. about so, it. So this is a, this is a recent development. I don't think shame is ever helpful. Really? Okay. Ever. What, what what emotion would you use to describe? Oh, like... Um, would you just put it under the umbrella of like authentic empathy? Maybe I feel guilty. If I feel, if or, or I feel maybe... I think... I think guilt. Guilt, guilt yeah, works. Like, I, oh, I, I did something wrong. I, I, I did something wrong, not yeah. I am something wrong. Right. Um, mm, the difference between guilt and shame. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, this is a very recent thought that came up, but based on what you're saying, that again, the focus on maybe healthy guilt. Yeah. Better. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Look at us getting through stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to I ask a question, and uh, we can either insert it here or somewhere else. But I have a question. Do you. Now that we've kind of talked about what it what it looked like for us and what some of that culture meant earlier in our lives, do you still use the word sin? And if so, how do you use it? Depends on who I'm talking with, honestly, or what kind of circles I'm in. Because I think it's a, it's a helpful container for some people. It's a really damaging thing for others. But I will say, in my own experience, I'm certainly trying to reframe it. And my goal would be to reframe it for others as well, if I'm using that word. How would you maybe do that if you were to, like, in what way might you reframe it? So I think that at its core, sin is an identity issue. And this is something that I've been thinking on for the past uh, year or so. Honestly, Andy, since you shared a sermon from, is it Vining's Lake? And we'll have to put that in the show notes because... Hey, hey, Cody. Yeah. I liked a lot of what he was saying there. I, I like the idea of boiling sin down to an identity issue that is acting or believing in a way that is contrary to our identity being made in the image of God. Could you kind of rephrase that a little bit? Yeah. So acting or believing in a way that is in opposition to our identity, that identity being made in the image of God. 
So I like what it says that our the core of our identity is made in the image of God. So when I reframe that for someone, I want that to be at the center of the discussion is who they are at their core. And that sin does not change who they are. It's a denial of who we are, mm. who we really are. It's like a departure from your true self. Exactly. Mm. That's, a, that's a cool way to frame it. So, yeah. Mm. I'm going to have a different <laughs> answer that. than that. Yeah. Good. I do not use the word. Then my um, question is, if you don't, why? If I don't, why? Yeah. I don't. So there's probably exceptions to this, but I don't think that talking about sin did anybody good. The reason for that is because it, like, it is the one thing that you can't do, and there's a bunch of it, and there's a bunch of variations of it, and it separates you from God. It's a good answer for the first question. <laughs> so I don't use the word because of the stigma attached to it, and partially because when I moved out here to New England, I was just laden down with religious language. Like, that was just how I talked. And even church-going people, like, don't have, like, religious language, like, out here and probably elsewhere, probably in uh, where I grew up in Illinois. But it's just so uncommon to find somebody that just hasn't gone to church. So I struck it from my, my vocabulary, with the exception of, like, papers that I was writing and assignments for seminary. So I struck it from my vocabulary so I wouldn't accidentally start using that word if we were to talk about systemic problems. Or not just systemic problems, but just issues in general, things that cause pain. Things that might help some people to, 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 for that to be known as sin, but I was just mostly sensitive to people who weren't believers. And I didn't want to accidentally incur any stress on them. And even if I were talking to a religious group, I don't think that I would use the word because I want them to see somebody talking about the same things, maybe maybe similar things being wrong, and then just seeing that it's okay to not use that word. It's, it's one of those words where there's so much bouncing around in the background of anybody who hears it yeah. that there's no way that I feel like you can clearly communicate in a healthy manner what sin is. So that's why I don't use it. That's also why I don't plan on using it. <laughs> I, I might change my mind on that, but I definitely don't plan on changing my mind anytime soon on that. I am much more intentional about when I use the word and I use it for very specific purposes. Um, but for the most part, I don't talk about it a lot anymore. Uh, one like will, I, I wanted to start stripping out the Christianese that I was speaking so I could have like real conversations with people. But also because I think that like, even for myself, I was like, I don't even know what these words mean anymore. Like I've said it so much. I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Um, so that was one for myself and others. Um, but Ben once asked me a question and, uh, that question has lingered in the back of my mind in a great way. Um, but he asked me, he goes, if you were ever preaching at a church again, would you have a, a sermon about sin? Like calling it out. And, uh, I don't think I would. I think where I'm at right now, I just don't care a lot about it anymore. And, uh, and it's not because I, I don't care about the suffering of the world. Like I very, I'm very passionate about, you know, alleviating suffering in the world. You know, I think that's a huge thing that we can all do. I just don't think that the word sin is very helpful for that. I think that it's really helpful for creating more suffering in the world. And so for me, I just stopped caring. Like, 
is this a sin? Is that a sin? I don't care because here, here's, here's being like really vulnerable and really true. And it's kind of scary to do this on a thing going on the internet. Um, but for me, I personally, you know, I have a very addictive personality. I have a explosive temper. Just personally don't really think I'm all that great of a person because I can see all of my flaws very, very realistically. Okay. And, and I have so many more than the, the two that I just listed. Um, but my whole life wrestling with sin, I never got better at those things. Never showed any signs of improvement, any sign. Like I, I was like a, in, in AA, they have the term getting dry versus getting sober. So an alcoholic can get dry where they just stop drinking, but they haven't actually addressed the addiction. They haven't gotten sober. Sobriety comes from like true health where you've gotten to the root of the addiction, right? So I was really good at, with, with my struggles with addictive behavior, like I was great at getting dry and I could get dry for like long periods of time, but I never got sober. What I've been experiencing as far as sobriety goes in my personal life never came from that. It never came from like wrestling with sin, calling out sin, praying against sin. None of that fixed any of it. What really brought the most healing to me was when I'm, whenever I was married to my wife and we were having an argument uh, because, you know, I had looked at porn and it hurt her as it should have. And we're having this argument and she just like grabbed me and looked me in the eye and was like, you're so much better than this. Like you don't need negative coping mechanisms when you're struggling, when you're feeling insecure, when you're feeling bad about yourself. Like you don't need this anymore. You're so much better than that. And she started focusing and calling out the good in me. And that's where healing came from. Healing came from the emphasis on this is why you're good. This is why you are worthwhile. So for me, the metaphor that I use to explain it to people is I stopped worrying about the fruit that was growing. And instead, I just started taking better care of the roots. I went to the root of my soul. I went to my heart and I was just nurturing that, doing self-care, doing loving myself, um, receiving love. And as I've done that, the fruit that's grown has been more health than I've ever experienced. So for me, when I talk about sin, I'm trying to move that word from the places of unhealth to the places of health. And when I look at how we as a church are more focused on a teenager's genitals than we are on making sure that everyone in our community eats every single day, making sure that everyone in our community lives in a safe home with all of their needs being met, that's sinful. And, and what's exciting for me is that as I've been engaging with scripture again, as I've been reconnecting with you know Jesus, that's kind of what he said. To the least of these, you did to me. So for me, I want to focus on, no, that's sinful, is when we forget about what truly matters. And a teenager jacking off is not as important as a hungry child. Not as important about the brothels that are currently going on in our community. Like not as important about the husband who doesn't know how to control his temper because he never grew up in a home that showed him how. And so he's now beating on his family. So to me, that's sinful. And that's how I I focus on, like, let's let's put sin where it's supposed to be. I, well, 
I want to, Andrew, I want to hear about whether or not you still use the word, but I just want to address that, uh, Devin, I really like that you brought up that you, any change that addressing sin was intended to address only came about through address, like through affirming the, the good in yeah. you. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly the reframing that I was trying to get at as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so one example real fast before, you know, because I, I want to hear Andy's uh, thoughts on it. But today somebody brought to my attention, there's a tribe in South Africa that when somebody like does something egregious to the tribe, that they literally take that person physically, put them in the middle of the tribe and every single tribal member walks around, walks up to them and tells them something good that they've done. And they do that process until every single person in the tribe has shared a good, tangible story about the person in the middle. And when that's done, they welcome them back into the tribe. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that way better? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So Andy, I want to hear what fantastic. you have to say. Wow. Now I'm still thinking about that. I think you'd feel appropriate guilt. I think, and then called to something better. Yeah, that's the thing, though, right? I think people would change so much faster in a really healthy way. So, do I still use the word? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why, folks. <laughs> no, I really, I really think that um, I think that word has so much baggage and has been weaponized for so long that yeah, I'm with you, Will. I I don't see a possible way it could be productive or useful in a conversation. It's just mm -hmm. too much. So, okay, so my first complaint, I think the <laughs> word is avoidant and nonspecific, meaning it can flex to mean whatever the person in authority wants it to mean, which means we don't really know what we're talking. We don't know what we're saying. Hmm. It's, you know, it's not specific enough for us to really own anything. To me, it's been used as a, like a catch-all category for, you know, whoever's in charge to sort of, you know, some issue, some kind of demand. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So in that way, I don't think it's useful at all. And it gives us a way to not do the work of naming it, right? Like sometimes I think naming the thing that's actually wrong is a really helpful part of the process. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, let's talk specifically about something happened here in my interaction with another human being. It didn't go well, caused them pain. And don't get me wrong, I'm still interested in measuring right and wrong action. And I think we can do that pretty simply. You know, I, I put out a short video kind of pushing back against some of the ideas of original sin and people had a really hard time. And I think so, a lot of the, the conversations I have with people is you feel like, okay, well, if you start abandoning the idea of sin, you're like, well, is everything just, is there no right or wrong anymore? And I don't think that's at all mm -hmm. what I'm getting at. I'm still very interested in measuring that. I actually think it's really easy to measure, you know, something that violates consent produces suffering or exerts power over another human being. Like those are really easy ways to measure damage or, or you know, action that I would say that's wrong. That's wrong that we need to adjust. Mm. So it's, I don't think there's any problem measuring that stuff anymore. I think sin, yeah, it, it again, it's avoidant, nonspecific. I also think it's resigned, like meaning People are like, well, I'm just a sinner. This is like part of who I yeah. am. So yeah. I'm like, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get up and try to face this yeah. because you feel so defeated already. Right? Yeah. You're already so far behind, you know that that you're never gonna get away from this. That's like, uh, what do you, what? Do you, oh, it's false humility, self-deprecating. 
Mm-hmm. That's like, I feel like deeply embedded in church culture to, to be like, you have to identify as a sinner or else, well, if you say you're a sinner, then I feel like you can get away with saying anything like from the front. Yeah, um, yeah that false humility yeah, yeah. is real, real, real. Yeah. Keep going. Preach on. All Preach right. Preach on, brother. Number three, <laughs> it's manipulative um, because I feel like it creates, it's like, it's the necessary setup for an idea of transactional salvation. I'm going to stay away. We're going to get d- deeper into that. <laughs> so I'm deliberately going to steer away from that. But I do think it's like, okay, take for example, you meet somebody off the street in order to explain to them why the quote unquote gospel means anything to them. You have to explain to them why they're bad and why they're a sinner. So in that way, I think it's manipulative. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, oh, I hate gosh. that for so many reasons. Keep going. Oh. Okay. And then uh, the last thing that I'm going to say is that I think it implies a God who's petty and easily offended Um, because Mm -hmm. the whole emphasis of talking about sin is that, oh, you've displeased God. Mm -hmm. And I just think, I just think that that's so damaging to carry around this idea that, you know, the biggest thing you should be worried about is the ground of all being, being pissed at you. I wonder, oh man, now I'm thinking about whether or not you can think that God is the ground of being, and also think that he's offended by sin, right? In that way, because I think that the those two gods, I think, are different. Uh, I yeah, I don't think that they. Yeah, totally. I, well, that well, was one of the things I, I instantly would, came to was like, well, like the God I currently believe in just doesn't have an opinion. Uh, you know, like it's yeah. like the, pre- the presence, loving presence, yeah. isn't going around being like, this is what I think about this or that. It just is what it is. And I, if you're out of harmony with it, you could be out of harmony with it. Yeah but I don't think it has a lot like a big opinion. It's also not the point though. Right? Like when you look at like the metaphor of God as a parent, like the point isn't like, Oh, you made dad angry. It's like, no man. Like when my son or my daughter is playing with an electrical cord, I really don't want them to cause it's unsafe. Mm -hmm. Like it's less about displeasing dad and more about like, I want you guys to do good, safe, loving things, man. Like it's just, yeah, keep going. Preach, brother. <laughs> no, that's it. That's my list. <laughs> I think that um, a good list. this is going around on this question has just been really, really great. And I think that I'm, I'm interested in reclaiming the word exclusively for people who are not going to stop using it. Mm. Like, because mm. I would agree with you that it's just like, there's so much bad. Around. Like, I would never use that word with someone who's not already using it with me yeah and i'm like okay well now okay i'll I'll use that word with you and i'm going to try to reclaim it or redefine it into something different that's wise yeah but yeah no i've I've really enjoyed hearing all you guys talk i think it's really smart i think what you're saying ben is super intelligent because the fact is is that there are people who aren't going to stop and so the best thing that we can do is find a a more appropriate and healthy way to reframe it so I i think what you're saying is is great and a, a more succinct way of what I was trying to say about like, I use it for very specific purposes. Yeah. Well, how would you reclaim it? Um, I say specifically like, this is what is sinful and kind of like what I just did earlier of like, you know, us, us not making sure that everybody in our town has a full belly every day. Like that's sin. Like that's where it's, it's literally, we're just going to define this, but I think that. Um, right. But you use that word with people 
with a specific group with, of people. Yeah, yeah, with with people who otherwise you could yeah. just say that's wrong. People don't need to hear that that's <laughs> sin, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it's such like a, you said. There's a whole host of baggage, Andy, that goes along with that. Right. But for a specific group of people, yes. who are concerned with that word and what it means, I want to try to work with them on that. Maybe. Well, and also I, like you're really like the process that you're describing is just, it's much more gentle than what I'm describing, uh, which is probably a lot more loving and effective. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I lean towards trying to, uh, be like, you know, you guys in this, cause y'all are a little bit more measured in your words than I am, but uh, so, I don't know, man. I think it's not, it's not a, it's not an unreasonable <laughs> approach necessarily. Oh, yeah, no, I think like, like some people listen, need to be, you just need to <laughs> shake them out of it. It's, if you're using it for shock value in order to like care for people, I don't like whatever. <laughs> Whatever gets um, whatever gets people fed, that's fine. Yeah. I had oh, I had a question about call it Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> that which must not be named. Yeah. I love the religion of Harry Potter that you're injecting into our episodes. Like, <laughs> well, that's okay. So you've recently finished the books and have gone through all the movies. Yeah. Oh, that so makes sense. Like why in, you're talking about it? It's in yeah. your mind. It's in my mind. <laughs> okay. I love it. Yeah. Even though it's about witchcraft. Especially because, <laughs> especially because it's about witchcraft. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, a question that I have for people that are really attached to the idea of sin and specifically the language of sin is why. Um, and then a, a, I guess a follow-up question that I would have for, for somebody and then, and then for you guys is other than being told that that is inherently important to your system of belief what is the utility of talking about sin like i because i'm kind of in this space where i think the only reason to talk about it is because we don't know how to not to because it's all we know i think the utilities are everything that andy was describing which i think is kind of problematic is that number one it's it's a simplification and a reduction right we're making a easy to identify category of things to avoid right like all Mm -hmm. bad things or sin don't do bad things you should or shouldn't do this. These should or shouldn't be laws. These should or shouldn't be the right things to do. Um, but I think that that in and of itself creates its all a whole other host of issues mm-hmm. with it. So I think that the only reason to do it that I can see isn't really all that good. And I'm having this realization like as you're asking the question, because I think mm-hmm. it's a very important question that I don't think I've asked myself that effectively. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts. Well, it's because the stakes got so high. Yeah, and I think that happened way after the fact too, right? Like, thanks yeah. a lot, St. Augustine. <laughs> I'm not happy like, with you. I'm not happy. I, think, I, I, f- I feel like yeah. maybe we're going to hear more about that as the <laughs> night goes on. <laughs> I uh, think, we'll see. But No, yeah, go ahead, Will. Well, I was going to say, it, you're probably going to say the same thing. You might say the same thing. I, the stakes got so high. I think it really, sin is the thing that prevents you from receiving that transactional salvation. Like that's the the debt that you've incurred that could potentially keep you out of heaven, yeah. is is sin, and that's why it's and that's why it's important. But uh, maybe it's a uh, yeah. So I, I definitely have an issue about like with the idea of like being in a state of sin. But I think maybe even going back to question one, sin was mostly talked about like as an action. Like sin was an act that you could commit. Whereas I think part of the issue that I actually have with theology is that it's that we are in a sinful state that automatically uh, discounts us from goodness. 
So yeah, we should, we should, your other two questions are like, we're hovering on the edge. So my next question was, and I don't, I mean, I don't know, cause we've, we've talked a lot about the sin and what it is, but is it, does it separate us from something? I've even heard sin defined as that which separates just at a very basic definition. What do you guys think about that? Probably going to piss people off with this, but I think it most importantly separates us from ourselves. Absolutely. Oh, I think that's... You stole it. <laughs> so Sounds good. like you made everyone really Keep angry. Going, well. <laughs> I mean, the whole... Uh, this is going to sound super flippant. The whole like sin separating you from God is pretty hard to quantify. There's multiple theories about salvation. Assuming that you even think that's true, you're going to get 10 different answers from 10 different people. Most importantly, something that damages the world is going to distance you from it, and it's going to distance you from yourself. There's like elements of like sinfulness with like the way that we cultivate shame, which is literally just a rejection of yourself. It keeps you from your full potential and is just going to perpetuate whatever negative patterns are there causing for a higher propensity to cause harm to yourself and others. Yeah, so I think it definitely separates us from ourselves and then separates us from others. I agree that it separates us from ourselves. I'm going to get away from using the word sin, but I think that wrongdoing separates us from ourself and because it separates us from who we are it makes our ability to connect with god more difficult so i think that it does separate us from god but not because of the fact that god can't look at us or because god is easily offended or because uh, god is angry with us i think it separates us from god in the sense that it makes it harder for me to then go connect with god because i'm ashamed to me, when I think about sin, I think about how that shame affects us, kind of like the prodigal son, where he was gone, making bad decisions, doing lots of bad things. But what kept him from coming back was how bad he felt about himself and what he was doing. And I think that's how it separates us from God, because I don't think that God is easily offended. I don't think that God uh, is abandoning. I don't think that God um, is rejecting. Jesus didn't come to earth because we were so great. Right. He came to earth because we were all like in need of connecting back to God. That's a very light, very generic kind of way to view it. But I think we can all get on board that the point of Jesus is that it's supposed to help us bridge that gap to God through um, healing, through love, through uh, being made new, uh, through, you know, um, just things along those lines. So I think that sin doesn't separate us from God because God steps away when we sin. I think because we are now separated from ourself, the journey that we have to get to connect with God is much more difficult and much further than had we not done something um, that, that caused that suffering. And I'm learning a lot about what the stories of separateness, separation, have done in my life and in the world. I, I, I can still remember being on an airplane and hearing, I think for the first time, somebody just tell, tell me this simple truth that you've been loved the whole time, been held the whole time. There was never 
something that you did that put you on the outside, that made you not a child of the divine. And for me, that was so incredibly freeing. That was so incredibly life-giving to uh, to know that, and it resonated with like every cell in my body, just knowing that the thing I had been afraid of, which was being alone, being being left because of some wrong I had committed, maybe. And I mean, the, really, the scale of it is crazy when you think about it. You know what I mean? Like that's what always is blown my mind about all of this. Is we'll say, well, you know, all. All sin is the same, right? Like the smallest to the biggest. But we, we, I mean, nobody in their right mind would say, oh, it's okay that you're punished forever for, you know, that time that you lied to your brother about something. Nobody would say that that's a reasonable way to handle that. But that's the math. That's how it works out in evangelical teaching that's all it takes for you to be completely separated so there was um a part of just my young traumatized self that just really needed to hear that i was held and loved and i've always you know as rob bell says you've always been at the party it's more a matter of waking up to what's already true um, and i've loved that i really loved that it's been helpful to me but i feel like um one of the other things that happens in introducing that story of separation, right? That when you do something wrong, you're separated from the divine. I think that that not only creates an incredible, you know, cultural anxiety where everybody is always kind of on edge. You sort of can feel in the air, just like this underlying current of, of anxiety. But it also, I think it's also responsible for, the mindset of colonization. And what I mean by that is we not only see ourselves as, you know, separated from God, but we see ourselves as separated from anyone who thinks differently from us. Hmm. And I think it has sort of introduced this mindset of like, okay, well, you know, we were all sinners, but then we believe the right things, said the right prayers, and so now we're good but everyone else is on the outside and it's our job to go like bring them onto our way of thinking. This sort of hierarchical thinking I think can be traced to the roots of what happened to the native Americans when we first arrived. Like there's a Cherokee elder who once said, you know, what would it have been like if the mission from Europe came expecting to find the divine light in the indigenous peoples? Like how different, could the origins of our country have been if we didn't think God's on our side and we're here mm -hmm. to civilize the world and, you know, mm -hmm. and tell them the truth, the quote unquote truth. Mm -hmm. Like how different would it be if we had expected that, no, the divine lives in everyone. Yeah. And, and we can recognize it there. I mean, I think you can just trace any time that there's been like a systemic dehumanizing of an entire people group. I think you can trace it to this story of separation. Mm -hmm. that we have something and, you know, they're the uncivilized ones or they live in the darkness and we need to bring them into light. Like anytime that we hold something that someone else doesn't in our own perception, mm -hmm. I think that story of separateness has just created 
unbelievable suffering in the world. Is that making any sense? I, oh, I yeah. Like there's I'm not I'm, no, I'm going like firing in a lot of different directions. I think that's amazing. I had not ever thought about that scenario. Like what, what would it have looked like had you know, we come expecting something? I think maybe a bigger point on sin to that end is that sin or the idea of sin takes away curiosity. I think that's important, like remaining curious about everything, expecting to discover the divine light in others is huge. I think it's a key to being happy. But when you have a category of sin, at least with the story of separateness, like we're always going to tell ourselves that we, despite being sinful um, in society, we're always going to assume that we're, that we're better because then tribalistic thinking has another air of superiority about it. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I can see it. I can see it systemically in that way. I can see it in the way that we've even all just in this room at the beginning of our conversation, we've talked about ways that that idea has separated us from our own bodies, Mm -hmm. that our desires were bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, females who tell the story, it's even more heart-wrenching because their actual bodies were bad. Right, yeah. like we've, right. we've talked about, they're responsible for our desires, so that mm-hmm. they take even more of the brunt of that damage. And then you have the Earth, the planet that we live on, right? That like the fact that we don't see ourselves as interconnected with one another and interconnected with the Earth, and that all of that is sacred and divine, mm-hmm. makes us treat the planet differently. It's you know, it's a yeah. it's something that you can extract resources from without you know, without thinking or, I mean, I've even, I like, I've been heartbroken when I've heard well-intentioned people say like, oh, well, you know, God's going to destroy it all one day anyway. Or like, Mm. what's the point of caring about the earth? So there's this, there's all, all over the place. You have these stories of separateness. Well, it's not our, it's not a part of us. Well, Well, what if the earth, what if we could view it as like, no, this is, this is the body of God. We are, and we're all connected together mm. like how differently would we treat the planet how differently we would we treat one another i just think that every time a story of separateness is created then instead of it being an i thou relationship it's an i it relationship mm-hmm. you know there's there's this layer of distance there's this layer of indifference and i think it causes unbelievable damage like i'm still wrapping my head i feel like i'm talking in incomplete ideas about it and other people have spoken this better than i have that i'm learning from right now but i can't i it's like almost a picture in my head where i can see like there's a crack right in the middle of where like the story of separateness happens and just splinters out in a thousand directions every time that every time that there's a story of separateness like people suffer and things Mm -hmm. go badly I love it. And it was just super powerful to hear because what if the idea wasn't that we were supposed to just, you know, why treat the earth nice? Cause God's going to, you know, destroy it and reform it anyways. What if our job was to like bring heaven to earth actively and be a part of that restoration process? <laughs> Like, what if our job was to like, see, how can we restore earth now? How can we make it better? How can we bring the garden back? How can we connect to each other better? How can we make it to where there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or master, man or woman, but that we're all in one spirit and one mind and body. And it's just like, oh man, we've been missing the point (laughs) so much. Yeah. And that's where like, you know, when you identify God in the dirt or in the eminence of a human being near you. I just feel like, look, if God is a story that we're telling, that story, that actually is going to bring life and connection and 
make me act differently than the God who's up and away and removed that we're just trying to make happy all the time. One of the most beautiful things I should say about the Christian tradition is the whole idea of incarnation, that God is in the midst of, in the struggle, in our neighbor's eyes, you know, again, in the dirt, in the soil, like that we look instead of up and away, we look straight ahead or we look, you know, down beneath our feet. You know, I love that even mm. even just that um, image that comes from God as ground of being, like I just feel directs our attention back towards existence and humanity being a holy thing mm-hmm. rather than a thing we're trying to escape. Mm. You just connected a bunch of ideas that have been disparate in my mind. I love that. It's so good, man. Yeah. Being able to, to see it everywhere is just so beautiful. Andy, all that stuff that you said is so good. It's so good. So good. The thought occurs to me, because in my mind, the answer to the question, are we separated? I agree with what everyone has said, but my answer is actually the opposite. It's no, we're not separated. Yeah. Right? And the story that we are is the story of sin, right? And so if sin separates us, it's the story that we are separated that we accept and that's what does the separating. Yes. Mm. The story itself. Mm. And our, our belief and trust and adherence to the story. To, to believing the lie that we're separated. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So, I love that's it, man. Good. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. It is the story. I'm so glad you said that. Because that, that, like, that's an important part of it. What do you do with that story? Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think that's the, that's the whole rejection of our identity piece right? Believing in the false self, believing the lie, the false story, and not believing the true story. So for me, part of the reason why sin is such an interesting topic in general is if you take away the need for salvation, you take away the necessity to talk about sin. More importantly, you take away the necessity to talk about sin in the way that it has damaged people most. I think it's ironic that the way that the church approaches sin is negatively. I think about some of the things that I dislike most about myself have been more healthily addressed through non-religious therapy and seeking (laughs) a form of self-actualization and self-acceptance through religion just didn't help that. I think it's probably fair for me to say that I'm legitimately jealous that there are people out there who, for whom that is like true for, that finding religion was helpful in that way. But for me, I had to take some steps away from it in order to feel more whole. I had to step away from the narrative that uh, that I grew up with. So in a lot of ways, when I think about sin, I really just think that the issue with sin is something that we've just kind of constructed. Yeah, there's definitely things that humans do that are wrong, and that seems to be kind of inherent in our nature. We are selfish. There's a lot of science to back that up, but I definitely don't think that that means that we're bad. Yeah. I guess that's kind of like my final thought about about sin. It wouldn't seem to be such a problem if we didn't make it make it that way. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to like and rate and write a review and all that good stuff and uh, share with your friends and we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. <laughs>